When we're young, we move with freedom and confidence, with a great resilience to injury. But somewhere along the line, we develop poor habits and become more vulnerable to back pain. Back Pain Solutions features evidence-based and practical advice to help you take back control of your health and get back to the activities you love. This is your guide to better back health through movement. So join us as we demystify some of the commonly held beliefs about back pain and build your confidence to a stronger back the smart way. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Back Pain Solutions podcast with me, Ben James, and as always, my co-host, Jacob Stain. Today, we're talking about the squat and specifically how the squat relates to activities of daily living, why it's important in terms of movement pattern to help with our activities of daily living, about the mechanics, good form versus bad form, how this exercise can be beneficial in the gym in terms of building our endurance, building our strength if executed properly and some of the issues that are a concern if it's not executed properly and we're going to talk through the steps as to how to to do it well to do it effectively to do it safely so that you can have confidence in that movement before we jump in as always get on over to the website www.smartstrong.co.uk take advantage of our free ebook help you take back control of your back pain within seven days is there to empower you to take ownership take control and start to get a better back build a better back get back to the activities that you love jacob good morning how are you my friend i'm very good ben thank you how are you very well very well have you been doing any any squats of late yourself are you do are you doing many squats in the gym these days for for your training specifically that's a good question. Actually, no. With the lockdown, I've been home for nine and a half weeks. I've just been back to work for two weeks, so I, you know, it wasn't possible to go to the gym. And at home, I I was doing other. I, I trained almost every day, but my I didn't have squatting in my in my routine now. Would you Would you generally do it these days, or are you are you focused on more? pushing the sled those kind of things is is that how you're training the the posterior chain and we'll come on to posterior chain as as we walk through the show um this particular episode do you still incorporate squats with with weight yourself in the gym as a more of an isolated movement or or less so these days yeah a lot less than before i i do walking lunges because i like the dynamics of the walking lunge as a big overlap between the walking lunge and the squat I think but I I do a lot of squatting at work because I have to I have to bend over I have to squat down I have to do a sumo squat to you know to keep a good posture when I work with my patients doing soft tissue work and when I pick something up from the floor so I just thought about it I, I squat a lot when I'm at work uh, almost every day but otherwise, I've I've stopped going heavy in the gym, if you know what I mean. I mean, I used to do sure do a lot more of that in the past. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more because, again, I think we we both talked before about how we see people squatting in the gym. It's a it's a classic common exercise we pe- see people performing, and some of the things that we often see as a as a bit of a negative, or certainly things to to watch out that people tend to be doing wrong consistently. But I think. We, a good place to start is what you said there is you're doing squatting a lot 
but actually it's as part of your job, as part of your activity of daily living. And that will be the same for a lot of people. They may just not be conscious of the fact that they're doing a squat. And the question at this point is, are they doing that squat well to save the back? Because that's the the, the relevance of this um, squatting movement pattern is how it helps to save the back, allow you to do those things throughout the day that are just part of general life, but to do it safely. And we talk a lot about people learning these movements properly, consciously, so that then when they're doing them subconsciously, as they will be now, they're doing them subconsciously well, not subconsciously badly. Exactly. I think I think you're really talking about the the spinal hygiene aspect. And, Absolutely. And and I think that the squat is such a useful, important everyday pattern that I I wish for everybody to understand how important this is and to be able to to do it properly. And the benefits to doing it properly is not only a better back or creating a healing environment for the joints and the spine, but it's also using the right muscles. So it makes you stronger. Yeah, absolutely. And and when we're saying activities of daily living, we're talking anything from gardening to loading and unloading the dishwasher, the washing machine, whatever that might be. Getting up from you know, the loo. These, getting up from the loo, good a good one. You know, particularly in the morning when we're when we're more vulnerable getting onto the toilet, off the toilet, if you're not squatting effectively, then you, you can be putting your, your back at risk. Because really what we're talking about here with the squat, Jacob, is taking advantage of the big, powerful, stable ball and socket joint of the hip or both hips and keeping the back straight and in neutral because of the impact and risk that not doing so can have on, on back health. Exactly. And I think you made it sound very simple, and you put it really, really well. But we'll we'll break it down in a moment. I mean, there's all these components to making sure that your your squat is just a simple movement, but a proper movement. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk about about the biomechanics and the and the the trunk stability and the neuromuscular components in terms of those muscle activations working together and creating a, a solid base. Let's talk through those points from a, the point of view of a, of doing a squat as part of a, activities of daily living and, and just improving on that. And then we can talk more about extending that exercise into the gym and why these things become even more important and what the things, some of the things we often see as a, as a problem. Yes. So the, you mentioned it there. The first, the first and foremost important thing that you have to learn or create and be aware of is the the trunk stability. So it's the ability to brace and to create not only the bracing effect, which is a, a stiffness that we generate mostly in the abdomen, but also compression between the shoulders and hips. So if you are capable of creating proper real trunk stability, then we we can assume that you're going to be very safe in your spine and in your back throughout that movement when you have to pick something up from the floor or move something heavy. I think that's the, yes. f- that's the first step. And we're going to discuss that also uh, thoroughly today. Uh, the second step is the, the other components. So if you're able to firstly lock the core, 
you know, create that stiffness in the abdomen and between the shoulder blades and the hips, then we're going to rely a lot on the posterior chain. And what do I mean with the posterior chain? These are the muscles at the back, your glutes, the buttock muscles, the hamstrings, and it feeds into the low back muscles. It's like a chain on the back that we rely on when we push the, the hips backwards and we go into that squatting position. Yes. And then obviously extending that further down and the solid base with the feet and the knees. Exactly. I mean, that's like you say, that that's our base. If that's, and that's a big deal. I think, especially when I, when I see a lot of my patients and work with them, then on a one-on-one personal training session, they don't always quite know or realize that this, the, the, the obstacle in, in, in the way of their of good form for their squat is not so much around the bracing technique or the movement but it's it, it's at the knees or at the feet that isn't actually allowing them to go deep enough because the the base isn't isn't solid you know I mean there's a lot to work on yeah absolutely absolutely and you talk about the brace uh, you know it's something that we've discussed uh, a lot in in terms of good spine health let's let's look at the squat in detail now and look at some of the things that people are, are doing wrong because often you'll see a people bending through the back uh, so they're flexing forward through through the spine itself not from the hips they're not embracing the core but also you know even more than that it's the it's the co-activation of the the lats the big muscles in the back the pecs that are just not working together so if we start by breaking the squat down and looking at, let's say, the lats and pecs and working our way down, then we can help to help people to listen and to, to kind of visualize and break this uh, movement down into steps that allow them to, to make improvements in that execution of this, of this movement pattern. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think we've got to take another step back and we've got to realize that we're looking at a structure that requires stability. So we have the spine and, you know, next to the spine, you can almost imagine next to the spine at the top and at the bottom, we have these anchoring points and they are the shoulder blades and the pelvic bones or the hip bones. And we, you have to imagine, I mean, a, a, an anchoring point has to be something solid. So it's going to be bone. And we know that muscles run from bone to bone and they either contract or relax or stay contracted to provide stability for example so you if you want to visualize it you've got these anchoring points and they provide the stability to the trunk to the spine right and you yep. were talking about bracing so i want to just uh, speak about that a little bit more the first step in moving towards a good bracing technique will be learning to belly breathe. And you know what I mean there, Ben. Sure. So that belly breathing is actually, it's for a lot of people, it's not easy. I've, I've worked with a lot of people where I, you know, I, I gave them the technique and I said, okay, go home, work on this for a week. When you lie on your back, put a hand on your chest, put a hand on your belly. No movement in the chest. I just want to see the hand on your belly go up and down. So what we're doing there is we're creating this awareness from the mind to the diaphragm this muscle just below your lungs when that contracts it pushes the content in your abdomen down and out so your belly will expand 
we need this muscle very much in order to brace properly. Right? So first of all, we need to we need to learn and become aware of being able to belly breathe. And that's going to translate later into the into the bracing technique. Yes. So a good a good exercise at home then that you would recommend is is just lying on your on your back maybe and and, and trying that and keeping that chest still effectively. Exactly. And when that and that when that goes well, you can move towards actually sitting, sitting on a chair, feet nicely firm, firmly grounded. And you take your hands around your abdomen, you know, just below your ribs, and like you're gripping your trunk. And then you push your fingers into your into your abdomen, just below your ribs at the front. And you breathe out. And as you breathe in, you breathe into the belly and you push your fingers out. And then you, you feel the muscles actually pushing the fingers out. And you realize, yeah, that's proper belly breathing. Yeah, and how, how often would you recommend that patients do that or, or anyone should do that in terms of um, trying to bring this into the, I guess, a lifestyle thing rather than just yeah. a, we need to do this for rehab because this is something that's got to be conscious at first so that it can be ingrained in the nervous system, neurology, and becomes subconscious. That's the important kind of outcome we're looking for here. Exactly. Exactly. So I, you know, first of all, people come, they're, you know, quite stressed, they have a busy job, or they might be an emotional person who likes to shrug the shoulders when they talk. And so generally, we, we go out of uh, the fact that they're not belly breathing, they're breathing high. In other words, they're raising the chest to breathe. So the diaphragm has been, I usually call it been on holiday for a while. And so yeah, then sure. we start that Beginning, we begin that process with actually lying on the back, you know, starting to create this connection between your hand and your brain, which you have in your belly. You want to see it move, so you activate the diaphragm. When that's going, you start making a, a conscious thing when you're sitting at work. So when you're sitting at the desk, you know, a lot of people who are sitting behind a desk, they have a stressful job and they quite often push for time. They have a lot of stuff to get through in the day. And so they start breathing high, they get stressed, you know, and my suggestion is then to take a step back, relax, sit in your chair, put your hands around your trunk, grip uh, grip your trunk, and then belly breathe, pushing the fingers out. So you do that a few times. Activate the diaphragm. And the ideal situation would be to get to a point where you don't have to think about it anymore. You're sitting behind a computer or you're doing something and you're constantly belly breathing unless you're exerting yourself physically and you need to get more oxygen in your body, then you go into breathing higher and into your chest. Yeah, and it, and it does take some practice. But actually, you know, within a few weeks, if you're really concentrating and, and focusing on it, then you can learn to do it and you, and you can feel that you can breathe and, and that chest doesn't, doesn't move significantly at all. So I think it's, it's something that it requires... <laughs> It requires effort, as with anything um, that is, you know, difficult in life, and and getting out of back pain is is one of those things. It does take effort and it does take consistency, but it's important and fundamental in terms of an effective brace, and that's that's so important because you we often see people with the rounded shoulders when they're executing a squat, whether it's in the gym or just activities of daily living. So 
effectively bracing the spine will help to keep it in neutral and prevent that rounding. That's the kind of a foundation of this movement. Yeah, exactly. And then we, I think we've gone on to say, we, we talked a little bit about the, the shoulder blades and how important that is with the lats and the pecs. So we, we feed the strength into the bracing effect by contracting the lats and the pecs. So we're making the shoulder blades or at least the shoulders part of the stiffness we want to create in the trunk by actually compressing the shoulders towards the hips. Yes, and that's that's undoubtedly a key and a frequent mistake that, that you see, whether it's in the gym or just, just generally, that, that there is a disconnection there for a lot of people. And, yes. and again, visualizing and... We don't want to we don't want to separate these things out too much and not incorporate them as one movement, but ultimately learning to to co-contract those lats and those pecs and then incorporate that with the brace is so important for a really effective brace and squatting movement pattern, and particularly if you're then going to add weight to it. So a good exercise, Jacob, even as a starting point, could just be standing neutral and learning to contract the muscles in the in the lats and the pecs together without doing anything else just to learn again back to that conscious movement to then try and ingrain that in the in the neurology exactly and also you know a lot of people who go to the gym or not it doesn't matter if they squat or not anything they do where they do a push pull movement with the arms where they're in front of them especially in front of them because if we go overhead it becomes even more difficult but if, if we think of basic push pull movements we do in the gym a lot of people are not aware that we have to always have that connection with the pec and the lat. They should be on during the push-pull movement with your arm almost always. can't really think of an example where it's not on. But what happens is that we shrug the shoulder, we go to the trap, we lose the pec and the lat and the medial bicep, which provides the, the strength in the compression of the shoulder downwards. And... Frankly, we lose power in the core, we have an energy leak, and we also have a compromised shoulder joint. So as soon as we're going to do something heavy uh, and we're asking the shoulder to do this, but we have the lat and the pec not properly activated, then we're, we're, in, we're in a danger zone for what may happen to the shoulder joint. Yeah, and I think you make a good point there in terms of an energy energy leak. If you're particularly if you're lifting weight and and that is not incorporated or the the co contraction of the lats and pecs is not incorporated, then clearly you know that's that's going to impact your ability to lift effectively. And it's again, like you say, and, and I think an important point that that this is something that should be practiced and incorporated into any movement, any exercise, because like you say, for shoulder health and for for effective bracing it is so important but i know for sure that that transition um is difficult and when i say transition if your arms are by your side and then they're going up above and over your head such as in a, a shoulder press for example that's a key point that that transition point where the arm goes up is where sometimes often people even if they're good at it, lose the, the co-contraction of the of the lats and pecs. So again, it does take some practice and it's it's about scaling back those weights and, and being lighter in those weights maybe initially to learn this movement to then start to add the weight again just so it can be done effectively and safely um, rather than it being just something that you just suddenly 
tune into and try and incorporate. It's got to be it's got to be progressive. I, I totally agree, and I think you can even scale it back further to isolated work, where you don't do a complex movement like a squat because a, a doing a, a absolutely performing a, a proper squat technique is a very complex movement. I'm, Unless you've done it many, many times, it, you're going to make it look easy. But if somebody hasn't been doing it, you know, it will require weeks, months to really get towards a really good squat in the gym. That's not what we uh, ask of you if you're just going to use the squat for emptying the dishwasher or getting off the toilet or you know, getting out of the chair to keep your back safe. But if you want to progress to you know, either home training, doing a, a sort of goblet squat with a kettlebell or, you know, starting to squat at the gym. It just realized that it's, you know, it's something that takes time. It's not something that's going to happen uh, in one go because there's so many components that the brain has to figure out and manage at the same time. And it takes weeks to months to actually get that coordination from the brain integrated so all those components are happening at the same time as one one proper movement yeah absolutely and and like you say it does take time because you know over over many years often people haven't been doing it so there's faulty movement patterns are what's ingrained and in the nervous system so you know it, it, it it's adapting it as well for those different activities you know doing a, a simple non-weight bearing squat just to, to get onto the toilet versus even squatting to reach into a washing machine, dishwasher, the co-contraction of those muscles, you know, is going to be different because the arms suddenly ex extended out. So it takes work, but it is important if it's going to be really effective in terms of that, that movement. So moving down, Jacob, we've talked about the bracing, the importance of incorporating the lats and pecs, maybe in isolation, first of all, but then bringing that into our overall bracing and stiffening of the upper body. Then obviously we've got the posterior chain, the glutes, importance in terms of stabilizing the knee, but also in terms of movement through the hip joints and being that powerful movement rather than losing that contraction throughout the chain. Yeah, that, that's a big one, the posterior chain. And I'm just thinking when I see people squat sometimes, also when they're starting out at the gym, you know, starting out at the CrossFit, maybe they've just done the on-ramp and now they, they're getting into doing the, uh, the workouts of the day. You see, you know, I mean, as a chiropractor, you know, Ben, you, we can't help analyzing. Even if we don't intend to, we just do it all day. When we see people yeah. walking or standing or moving or picking something up, you're just kind of evaluating and, and, and you know, figuring out what's this, the strategy that this person is using. What I see quite often is that if the core, if, if the glutes are not on point, if they're not used to the brain and the glutes, of course, this connection is not used to performing this movement in, in terms of, uh, providing the necessary strength or stability, then you'll have this rounding of the low back. The brain is looking for a different strategy to be able to bring you into the squat position. So you're round the back, trying to give the, the work to a different muscle group. Well, when you see someone who's got 
strong glutes, you know, maybe they've done a sport before or genetically they're just blessed with it. And you see that posterior chain is just very present. The, the squat happens almost by itself, you know. Uh, yes. Of course, there's going to be something you have to fine-tune, but the posterior chain, if that's really well-tuned, we have a much better, much better chance of preserving forces and, uh, so to say, injury happening at the low back. Yeah, and I think, again, this certainly as a focus should be in isolation initially, making sure those glutes are are being activated, make sure that they are firing. Because I've spoken to a few patients and we've given, whether it's the clam uh, shell exercises, monster walks, um, even um, glute bridges as well for the, for the bigger glute max. And then they've gone out and started running and really started to notice that they're feeling feeling it in the buttocks more than they they are in the legs so they've actually not really been effectively firing those glutes even during running and and just incorporating these isolated glute activation exercises can be really quite impactful and and you can notice some improvement pretty quickly um, but it is so important and it's also a muscle that we know that is often deactivated with a back injury. So that can then potentially compound the issue. Deactivated because of a back injury, but also because of mostly what a lot of people are doing most of the day at their jobs, and that's sitting. Yeah. So we we neglect this muscle group very much just because of our modern day lifestyle. And that definitely translates big time into the quality of our movement, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. So it is again, you know, a fundamental piece of this this puzzle in terms of an effective squat. And you know, there's there's not any area really that can just be ignored. It has to all collectively work at its optimal to really execute it properly. And particularly if you're then gonna gonna add weight. So let's talk about the hips, Jacob, because this is where things get a little bit different. Because generally, we've all got the same kind of muscles and. Uh, bones etc etc but when it comes to the squat the hips are not anatomically the same in everybody in terms of the depth of the joint and the stability or the flexibility in that joint and that significantly impacts your ability to to squat down to the floor or not and therefore it should be recognized as part of your technique when you are in the gym lifting weight because again it's going to limit that that range of motion it's a very good point and for a lot of people uh, a sore point because i've had some some clients and some patients who found it very difficult to accept when i when i told them look you know the anatomy of your hip isn't made for deep squatting in fact even a 90 degree horizontal squat is going to be quite an issue for you and, you know, I suggest staying above the 90 degrees. So you're not really made for CrossFit where, you know, you have to make a 90 degree squat before someone will accredit you with a rep. You know, you'll yeah, be, and let's you'll talk about that. Just, just jumping in there briefly because that, 
that's a huge problem, isn't it? Particularly in the in the CrossFit world, are, are you finding that that's leading to a lot of injuries in people, or really we we were focusing more on the on the competition level athletes in that sense? Because that's a real problem. Because if anatomically you can't do it, but you know this competition dictates that you have to do it, then then that's that's a real issue. Hundred percent. I mean. The, the research on this is very clear. Professor Stuart McGill and there are others who have just shown us through and through that because of the anatomy, anatomical differences between the individuals, some people are going to be, you know, especially on a high level, your, your architecture is going to dictate what sport you will be doing, especially on high level. So if your body type is not made for that sport, you're just not going to perform on a high level at all. And if we look at CrossFitters on a high level, 99%, if not 100% of them, can do a proper squat. Some's going to look a little bit better than others, also depending on body type. But you can't be at that at that level and not be injured if you have if you're not able to make a good squat. But if we go to your regular CrossFit gym, and of course that's the big CrossFit, the biggest proportion of the CrossFit population then you see a lot of people who, you know, either have this idea from social media or, you know, from friends or or the feeling they get when they're in the gym and they think, well, I've got to make this 90-degree squat and if I don't do that, I'm not going to get a rep when I do a wad, which means the, the trainer's going to tell me to go deeper or, you know, no rep, no rep, no rep. That, you know, that's not good for your self-image. And so we're kind of forced to follow this idea that we have to make a 90-degree squat, but at the same time, we're losing the low back neutral spine. We are not uh, thinking about what we're doing with our lats because in the end of that goes and we're bending through the low back, we're not able to maintain good form at all and everything breaks down. So this is a real problem and I don't know if you've asked me what we're doing or what I'm finding at, at our gym, but... Uh, I think it's about it's nearly three years ago that myself and my wife, we, we actually made blocks from wood. We were just being creative, had some pieces of wood uh, chopped up or sawn up in, in the right proportions, and we just put it together and we made these blocks that can stack up in eight centimeter intervals. And so people, when we look at the deadlift, we're not discussing the deadlift now, but for example, the deadlift, where you specifically require this ability to squat deep with a specific hip type, uh, you don't have to do that when you have the blocks. So we're actually able to spare the spine, similarly to a squat where you don't squat deep. Yeah, so with the with the deadlift point, you're kind of bringing the f bringing the floor higher up, yeah, uh, effectively. Your feet remain planted to the floor itself, and then the weight sits sits on a on a on a block that's a little bit higher. And then similarly, like you say, with the with the squat, it's a case of just recognizing those limitations and not trying to force that leg to ninety degrees and beyond, just because you feel that's what you should do, or or in the case of CrossFit, what what competition or rules dictate, because you just trying to change or you're just trying to bend or force your anatomy which is just 
which is just going to be impossible to do. And and really, there's a genetic component here, isn't there, in terms of the Celtic to versus Polish hips? That's where that's yes. where the, the, there's a lot of variation, or that's the that's the range that that we kind of work with with within. Yes. So you mentioned there the the Celtic hip versus the Eastern European or Dalmatian hip, and the Celtic hip being the deep hip socket. So you're going to have less range of motion. So you won't be able to squat very deep. Typically, if you ask someone with hips like that, they'll be very hunched over, won't be able to get the bum close to the same height as the knees. And then we have the opposite of that. We have the Eastern European hip or the Dalmatian hip, which is a very shallow hip joint, which allows us incredible, huge range of motion. And that's what the Slavic people are famous for. If they squat, they sit with their bums almost on the floor, with a relatively straight back. And that's also why they are so good in Olympic weightlifting, just because they have this natural ability. And I, an, an interesting fact is we have the highest number of uh, hip dysplasia at birth in Poland. And that is because of the hip socket being very shallow and... Uh, I know that's not Eastern Europe, but Central Europe, but it's moving towards East. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wonder if uh, my daughter will end up being uh, being able to do a really deep squat then, because as you know, Jacob, she's currently got a, a brace on for hip dysplasia, so she's clearly uh, she's clearly of that of that type with a shallow shallower hip joint for sure. But uh, back to the kind of CrossFit question: Do you do you see things changing? You work out of a, a CrossFit gym over in, in Nijmegen, do you kind of change the rules there? Do you do you recognize this issue? Do you see that changing within the CrossFit world itself as, as more and more research comes out? Because it seems a fundamental flaw there. Yes. So our answer at our gym, with my guidance, is when we do the general wads, we do, we have a, we have a sort of rule that, you go as deep as you can with a neutral spine. So everybody who joins the gym, when they do the on-ramp, they come to me for the core lessons. I have a core one, which is mainly theory, where I explain all these things so people can understand it. And then we have core two, which is a, a, pr a more a practical aspect, putting it into play and uh, you know doing a sort of workshop. And so with the wads, we we have this rule that, you know, Spine safety first, bracing technique first. And if you can't go very deep, then that's okay. So we'd rather pay attention to that. We're not going to tell you, look, it's a no rep. You make your squats the way you do them as long as they're safe. You make the number and you move through the training session. And when we do competitions, of course, then there's the requirement when we do that, you know, against another gym or the regionals or, or whatever, then you have to obviously make your 90 degree squat. But I think even if you're not, if your hip anatomy is not great and you do a competition, I don't know, once in a few months, you will still be able to cope very well because you've built up such a, uh, a resilience and a good form that your tissues are going to be able to cope with, with uh, you know, a competition once in a while. Yeah, so what you're saying there is the the anatomy doesn't prevent uh, a 90 degree squat. It's not that um, 
it's not that significant in terms of that hip depth that it's preventing 90 degrees. It may be a little bit more of a challenge in terms of the, the other soft tissues around there. Uh, but if you're training effectively within a more comfortable range, then doing it once in a while in competition is is not going to be a, a huge risk. But it's just recognizing, as we've talked about before with other exercises, repeating those exercises. And we talked about sit-ups, for example, in, in, in military tests are... Sit-ups themselves are a poor exercise to train the core because they're so bad for the back health. So doing a plank or other more isometric exercises to really build that endurance and then performing that kind of sit-up test is not going to be as much of a risk because you're not exercising in that way regularly. In a similar way, you're saying the same thing from a from a, a squatting pattern or, or certainly trying to get to a, a slightly deeper squat for crossfit competition exactly we've we've created healthy tissue and healthy tissue can cope with a lot more and if we then give that tissue the chance to recover afterwards then in reality you know that's just a normal process of life and it should be perfectly fine and and as always you know a a key take-home message here for for the listeners is you know if you're not if you're not crossfitting and you're not in competition then clearly just perform within your individual tolerance and if that is slightly less than a 90 degree squat then that's fine you're still going to get a lot of benefit from that in terms of uh, muscular activation if of course you're following the advice that that we're giving here but as with any elite um, sporting endeavor there are always some of some offsets that we've got to consider some risks that have got to be considered and and effectively understood because there's no getting away with it in certain sports and therefore you've just got to understand that the way that you train versus the way that you compete may differ slightly in terms of the way that you exercise and train because of the risk of some of those movements and and clearly at this moment in time squatting and crossfit is one of those in terms of hip anatomy and 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 get into a deep squat so jacob let's move down to the feet and talk about the feet because again often overlooked but fundamentally important because you know the stable base for any closed chain activity whether it's running walking playing golf playing football such a fundamentally important structure and yet so often overlooked so we talked about the posterior chain and the the connection between the posterior chain and the feet and the knees is very big. If we have a, a well-functioning posterior chain, we'd be able to hold the knee out and not have a knee that's collapsing in. And when we have a knee that's in the right position, facing outwards, and our feet's pointing usually in the same direction as our knees, then we will be pulling our arches, our foot arches off the floor and allowing a very strong, stable base that can absorb a lot of force. It's when the knee collapses in that we quite often see that the foot collapses in. And if that happens, we're already losing or have lost the function of the glute med, so a part of the posterior chain. And if we've done that, like I said before, there's a good chance that the brain's going to tell 
the low back muscles to do the job. We might be rounding, we might be looking for a different stat strategy. And then we, we're kind of seeing the whole structure breaking down. Yeah, so what you're saying there is without that stability locally, right from the base, then everything else kind of can become to some degree irrelevant. You're still going to have an element of safety with, with effective bracing, etc. But if, if you don't have that stable base, then like you say, the brain's going to do what it can to compensate. And that's where we're going to lead to muscle imbalances, risk of injury, etc., etc. Yeah, yes, and... And I think there are a lot of people who, you know, have to work with their feet and have to make sure that they have a stable knee. And it's it's something that, again, like we said previously, you know, you got to peel back the onion and you got to start uh, with piece by piece. And so for most people, it'd be a case of if I have my foot, if my foot arch is dropping in, I don't have a lot of control over my feet. You've got to go work with your feet first. You've got to create stability. Or if you've started squatting, do some isolated footwork on the side of that. You know, make it part of your warm-up, uh, get it into the system, activate it just before you go squatting. So gradually the brain will start picking that up. You know, you've got to stay aware of what you're doing with your feet and your knees. Uh, a very good exercise for that would be something like the monster walk. If you are able to assume a good squat position consciously. If the feet are collapsed too much and the knees are, you know, they're not stable, then most likely doing the monster walk, you're going to, you're going to compensate. So you're going to strengthen uh, the, the compensatory movement instead of using it as, uh, using it to correct the movement. And yeah, you know, I think uh, you just got to, uh, follow our program and especially look at the website and we're going to give you a lot of tips there in terms of these exercises yeah absolutely and I think that you know it's a it's a great point there you mentioned just at the end there uh, uh, about the feet and again how we need to break it down because hopefully the what you'll have understood from today is that the squat is is more complex than it seems you know it, there's there's a lot of factors there that really contribute to making it effective and making it safe and particularly as you start to add weight and and a point i want to add there is also that this form and that all of these steps have to be considered consistently throughout any set and any uh, training routine you're doing because quite often one of the things i notice is that it's on the last rep or the last rep of the last set it's that kind of lazy last rep i call it when you start to see a bit of flexion in the back or you start to see the loss of lat to, to pec contraction and there's a little bit of movement through the back. It's at those points where you're going to be most vulnerable. So it really is being conscious about perfect form throughout the set. So every repetition. And if that's a case of reducing those repetitions or reducing the number of sets, then so be it because form is so, so important. If you're going to avoid injury and allow yourself to effectively build strength and progress forward if indeed that's your that's your aim so jacob anything you want to add there before we go any yeah. variations among different people that you want to talk about i know that you know the, there's different uh, training events whether it's crossfit powerlifting etc the um my suggestion would be to drop the reps because 
what I see quite often is someone doing 10 or 12 or more squatting reps and it's just going through the motion. There's not really a, a conscious effort to feel the movement, to, to pay attention to the feet, the knees, the connection between the shoulder blades and the core, you know, spreading the bump cheeks when you go down, you know, making a wide base, staying upright with your chest. You know, if you would be doing that, you'd be doing more like five or six, maybe max eight reps and it, it would be done. You'd be finished. You know, the body would be like, okay, I got to take a break. So my suggestion is drop the reps, do smaller sets if you want to an extra set. And it's more about getting the focus where it should be, performing that uh, movement very well. And that's when you're going to see that the movement gets better, be able to add more weight, uh, or you might be able to add more reps if you feel that's what you got to do. If, if, if maybe you're a rugby player and it's more of an endurance thing for you. But if you train in a way where you do the, the squat properly, then you are preparing your body for either doing stuff at home or for the specific sport that you're training for. You know, we don't want to do the squats and get injured or cause micro trauma by doing them. You know, that, that just defeats the purpose. So yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. that's what I wanted to add there. No, and I think that's a great point. And, and you know, for everybody listening, it, it is a hugely important movement pattern for overall back health at home, getting it up and off the couch, toilet, etc., to keep that back in neutral. And then extending that into the gym, fantastic exercise for, for building strength and endurance and also for, for, for building back health over the long term. But it's got to be executed effectively. And one last point I want to mention there is don't compare yourself to others. You know, some people are powerlifters, some people are weightlifters. Don't compare yourself to those people or compare your technique to those people necessarily because, you know, there are going to be subtle differences and there are subtle differences in anatomy as well. Some people are taller, some people are shorter. So you've got to look at this movement pattern for you as an individual, work within your own tolerances, break the movement down where necessary so that you can ensure that you're executing it effectively, you're executing it safely, and that will help you to build the weight and progress forward if that is your aim. So Jacob, anything you want to add before we close the episode on squatting? I think we've said most of it. Uh, you just mentioned different types of squatting, and I think it's not appropriate to really discuss this now in depth. We've we've talked a lot, Ben, but uh, just about different techniques. And I want to say that instead of focusing so much on the different types of sports that we would use different squats for, uh, your squat is not going to look necessarily the same as someone who's got a different body type. You know, there's a lot of individual uh, variations in the squat. You might have a certain hip structure which is going to want you to squat with your knees quite wide. I've helped, uh, you know, I've helped guys, especially if I have to think back, you know, a couple of tall, big guys, you know, they try, they're trying to put their feet close to each other and keep their knees in and, and I've widened their base and I've got them to do more of a sumo squat and all of a sudden they could go a lot deeper, they could stay more upright, they could feel their glutes more. So you've got to figure out what works with your body type and 
stick to that, you know, and maybe depending on the range of motion, you can have, uh, you can go into variations from a normal squat to a, a very wide sumo squat. But for some people, that is just not the case. And you got to figure out what works for you. And if, if you are not compromising the back, maybe you can try different variations. But if you are, stick with what works for you, build up strength there, and then later try to expand the different techniques. Yeah, I think a uh, great point to end there, guys, that we're, we're all unique, we're all individual, and not just related to back pain, but a great take-home message just in general that, you know, it's, it's about you, you're unique, do what's right for you. So as always, thank you for listening, guys. Head on over to the website, as we say, www.smartstrong.co.uk. A lot of information, a lot of advice over there as we build, a, build out the content. And as always, we ask you to head on over to iTunes, give us a rating, helps get the message out to more and more people so that we can help more and more people take back control of their back health and empower them to get back to the activities they love. So thanks again, guys, and we'll speak to you on the next episode.